uh, from John 6. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And from John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning again. Well, this morning we've come to the end of our Believe series. And in the series, what we've done is we've looked at metaphors of believing. The scriptures are filled with metaphors. And metaphors, of course, as we've mentioned, make an organic connection between what we see and what we can't see. And both are equally real, in a sense. And yet metaphors invite us to explore what Jesus has been teaching us in the Gospel of John in a way that is, is tangible, and that can be unpacked in a different way. And Jesus made use of these all the time in his teaching, and we even heard it in the psalm this morning. <clears throat> For example, when we come to a metaphor, we can ask ourselves, what does it mean to believe? Well, we've seen that believing in Jesus is coming to him for living water. And we all know what water feels like when it quenches thirst. We've seen Jesus is the bread of life. We've seen that Jesus is the light of the world. And believing in him is to come to him in these ways. And this morning, we're going to conclude our series by picking up a common idea that Jesus uses in, in more than one place in the Gospel of John, and that is the idea of abiding or remaining. The word is so powerful, especially because of John 15, and there the word is used in the metaphor of a vine and branches. So it's going to be hard not to think of that, but this morning we're going to explore these two other places that Jesus uses the word abide or remain. And maybe we're not as familiar with these places because John 15 is so well known with the vine and the branches. But a benefit of a sermon series like this is you get, a, you get to explore, in this case, two verses. And we get to slow down and we get to ask ourselves, well, what, do the, what does this metaphor mean? So often we, we read through and we, we think we understand it. We think we get it. But we need to slow down and explore it. Now at first, these two verses, John six fifty six and John eight thirty one, may seem very disconnected. But they are connected in at least two ways. The first way is the word abide. You see it in John 6.56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And in John 8.31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So that's the first way they connect, the word abide. The second way they connect is both of these verses are found in the middle of an argument. In fact, in John 8, Jesus is in like a royal smackdown with the religious leaders. In fact, right after this, he tells them that their father is the devil. All right, so so this is important because we need to understand that the claims that Jesus makes have always been controversial. They've been hard to hear for lots of reasons, but at least they're hard to hear because when Jesus makes these claims rightly understood, he's making a comprehensive claim. This is one of the things that's so comforting and yet so challenging about Christianity is that when Jesus makes a claim, it only makes sense 
in a comprehensive story. And when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus is telling a very specific story about who he is and what God's doing by bringing his kingdom. The kingdom of God is a very big theme in the Gospels, in Jesus' preaching. And if, if you have a kingdom where a king is the real king, the king of all things, then that means the story must be comprehensive, right? And the Jews understood this. The religious leaders understood this, which is why they're so frustrated. They realized that the reason Jesus can't go on saying what he's saying and they can ignore him is because if what he's saying is true, it changes everything. If what he's saying is true, it changes their whole life. It changes their whole understanding of what God is doing in the world. And what I want to offer to us this morning is this is still true. Like his words are still that controversial. We can't have some of Jesus in our life and then live however we want. And this is why. Because when Jesus comes into our life and confronts us in any way, he confronts all of us with a comprehensive claim on our life. He doesn't just take a small part of our heart, but in fact, he comes into us and renovates the whole thing. He's tearing down walls, as C.S. Lewis tells a story and uses an illustration. He's tearing down walls in your house. He's not simply repainting a few walls. He's tearing them down. He's building new rooms. He's doing all types of stuff, and it doesn't feel good. And so you don't get to invite Jesus in and lock him in your guest room. He takes over the whole house. His story is comprehensive. And that's why it's important to notice that both of these verses take place in the midst of a big argument because Jesus tells a comprehensive story. Now the word abide, that was the first way that they're connected. As Jesus is telling us this comprehensive story, what he's telling us who would follow him is that the whole point of the Christian life, well, I don't know if I would say it that way. Maybe I would say you can describe the Christian life this way. And that is simply Stay put. Remain. Don't leave Jesus. Abide means remain. It means stay put. And so since Jesus is making this comprehensive claim, it's like he's saying, remain in the story that I'm telling you. Trust me. Trust me when I say who I am. Trust me when I say what God is up to. Trust me when I say who you are. And who God has made you to be. Remain in that story. And Jesus is also saying the only way to enter into that story is through him. And so remain in that story that Jesus is telling. Remain in me, Jesus says. And that's a way to describe the Christian life. And remaining is not easy or natural, which is why Jesus says it. The word remain is a verb. We can think, oh, that's it? That's the Christian life? I just stay put? I just don't move? No, it's an active remaining. It's an active abiding. It's an active staying put. Don't go anywhere, he says, in a world filled with movement. We live in a world that is constantly beckoning us towards other solutions, towards new solutions, towards the next best thing. I was just having a conversation with someone last week about the fact that they, they've had their cell phone for, for a long time and they're, they're pleased with their cell phone. They don't need a new one. But because of every update, their phone stopped working. And theirs is like two generations behind mine. So I thought I was safe. And then this last week, I updated my phone 
and me too. And my phone is like not working now. So what does that mean? It's, well, I got to go get a new phone. It, it's, it's a silly or simple illustration, but there's always a new philosophy of life. There's always a new hack, isn't there? If this isn't working, I'll find something new. And so it's actually hard work to remain, isn't it? It's hard work to stay put in a world of movement, the world that trains us to always be looking for the next best thing. So I think that in that world, in that reality, there are two questions that we can ask ourselves that I see in, this, in these two verses. One question each. The first question is, in a world of movement, in a world beckoning me to the next best thing, what is nourishing me? And the second question is, what is guiding me? So first, what is nourishing me? I I get the idea of nourishment from Jesus' metaphor of feasting, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time in this because Mike, a few weeks ago, talked about Jesus as the bread of life. But this is a different verse, John 6, 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me or abides in me, and I in him. So the context, though, is the bread of life. And Jesus talks about being the bread of life if you were with us a, a couple of weeks ago. And the issue is what is the source of true life? And that's why I'm using the word nourishment. What is the source of true life? Where do you get true life? Where do you find true life? Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases this verse like this. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. By eating my flesh and drinking my blood, you enter into me and I into you. You see, every time you feel your stomach growl, and it might even be now, right? I know when I'm not preaching, I feel the same thing. About halfway through the service, I think, man, I'm hungry. So whenever you find yourself hungry and maybe even distracted, what do, what do you, what's your first inclination when that happens? To get food, right? Your first inclination is to go nourish yourself, to go eat, to get food. And, and what I want to point out, and I think what Jesus is, is, is pointing out in this context with the Pharisees, is, is everyone agrees that the bread of life, or looking back in context to the manna that came down from heaven, it's not less than physical hunger, that's important in the blessing of God, but it's more than. And so when you feel your stomach grumbling, I think Jesus would have you reflect and ask yourself, okay, yes, my biology needs nourishment. Now I'm going to go eat. But there's a deeper nourishment that we all need. We have a deep appetite for life and flourishing at a level that's beyond bios or biology. It's not less than that but it's more than that. So then to ask the question, what is nourishing me could be, we could train ourselves every time our stomach growls and we're going to go eat food. We could ask ourselves, what deeper longing and appetite do I have right now? What deeper desire do I have? So, so for example, when you're bored, when you're bored, maybe it's like your stomach rumbling. And you could ask yourself, where am I going to be nourished? Where do you go? I mean, let me, let me tell you. So I have a, uh, 
I have a, an app on my iPhone. It comes with it, and, it, and it's called Screen Time, and it tells me every week it gives me a report. It tells me how much time I, I've spent on my phone and on what apps and, and everything. And I'll tell this a couple of times. Last week was a hard week for me, and for no particular reason, maybe. Uh, but I was, I was bored, I was anxious, and I was frustrated constantly. All week. And interestingly, for some reason, I didn't set this up, the report pops on my screen on Sunday mornings to tell me what my screen time was last week. So I'm telling you, I came into today completely depleted. Feel that way right now. And it was interesting because it popped up on my phone this morning as I was reading back through this and and praying. And it said, last week your screen time was up 43%. Why? Every time. Well, most every time. Twitter, news, sports. You see, that was an opportunity for me to ask myself, what's nourishing me? I have this deep hunger. Where am I going? And Jesus is inviting us here. He's saying, feed on me, drink on me. Don't go there. Remain here. Remain in me. Come back. This is, this is good for you to feel this way. Now come back to me. What about when you're afraid and anxious? What will you feed on to nourish that, to, qu- to quiet that anxiety? Where do you go? What about when you have a desire to be seen so that you'll stand out and you derive your value from that? How will you be nourished? Will you go perform? Will you go make yourself important somewhere, somehow, in some conversation? What about when you feel unlovable? You have this desire, this good appetite to be loved. The problem is is that you feel unlovable. So what do you do? Do you go try to make yourself lovable by being needed by other people? Not that you want to be helpful, but you need to be needed. So I don't know what it was for you. Last week it was screen time up 43% for me. What about you? In these moments, these moments that I'm describing, Jesus is not telling us that these hungers are not real or that they're unimportant. He's saying that the nourishment you desire is found in him. He's saying, drink more deeply. Bring a bigger appetite and feast on me. Feast on who I am for you, what I offer you, what I want to accomplish through you, what I've accomplished for you. Turn back now. Turn back now and come to me. It reminds me of my friend, uh, Russ, who's, (laughs) sorry, I I thought of another funny story that I I, I cannot tell about Russ whenever I said his name. Uh, But the the story that I want to tell is related, uh, but different. So this is the one, I'm trying to make sure I tell the right story right now. Okay, uh, yes, food. So Russ uh, tells a story about he was going to this dinner, um, Russ is my friend from Southern California, another pastor. And he, he goes to this dinner. He had a dinner to go to, and he knew that it was going to be this big feast. And so he's preparing himself all day. He, he hadn't eaten because he was, he, was, he was keeping himself for the feast. So he decided he was going to go outside and, and mow his grass and do landscaping. And uh, at the end of the day, he went to fill up um, 
his gas tanks to, uh, to have a full tank of gas for his lawnmower the next time he's a mow. And so he goes in and he gets water at the gas station when he's paying for his gas. And as he walks by, he sees this machine, you know, the rotisserie machines with the hot dogs on them. And he looks at it and he says, ooh, I think I want to eat that. And he knows that it will not go well if he eats it for a thousand reasons. And one of the reasons is that if he eats this now, he will feed on something that won't be as nourishing and he'll the food that night won't taste nearly as good. So he tells the story about his battle, and I won't try to repeat it, but it's really funny when he tells the story. And it's the way he tells the story that I can't tell right now. But his point is clear, and that is, I am giving up this false nourishment for something that I've been waiting for and preparing myself for. It wasn't that his appetite didn't matter. It was that it was going to be more fully satisfied later. And so Jesus is inviting us, when we feel that desire, when we feel our appetites, take them to him and let him satisfy them. And so the question is, what is nourishing you? Because in John six fifty six, when Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. It's like asking the question, what do you think is going to nourish you? What do you think is going to give you sustenance and life for your deeper longings, your deepest longings? The next verse, John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide, same word, this is how they're connected. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so if the first question that Jesus wants us to explore is what is nourishing you, the second question is, whose word is guiding you? So if you were with us for the Living Waters sermon and the Light of the World sermons, you remember that Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, in John 8, he's still there. What happens is they're still now arguing with Jesus about how he has the authority to make the claims that he's making. They say, how can we trust you? You're attesting to your own authority. And they're going back and forth, back and forth. And they're saying, are you saying that you have more authority than Moses? And Jesus is basically saying, well, actually Moses got his authority from me. So yes, I do have more authority than Moses. So they're going back and forth arguing. And it says there were some Jews there who were listening to this whole conversation who actually at that moment believed in Jesus in the midst of this argument. And so Jesus looks at them in this verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him because they were listening to this argument. And he looks at him, he says, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. So here's the context. Jesus had just made two very comprehensive claims that he is the presence of God and that he will quench all thirst and he will light everyone's path and guide them. And he is the very presence of God. And some of these Jews believe in them. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word, why doesn't he say words? He says that a lot, words he said a lot of words. Why does he say, if you abide in my word? Well, there are different ways I could answer this, but let's just do it this way for now. And that is, when Jesus says, abide in my word, he's saying, abide in the sum of all that I've said. All that I've said, I'll just wrap it up and say, that's my word. It's kind of like in Matthew 28, when Jesus 
is about to ascend into heaven and gives the great commission. And he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For I am with you always, even to the end of the, to the age. The, the key part there is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. It's like saying, teach them to remain in my word. Teach them to abide in all that I've taught. And so that's why I ask the question, whose word is guiding you? Whose comprehensive story about what will make you flourish are you listening to? Which story are you abiding in? Which story are you running to? Which story are you remaining in? Is it the one that says you're only as good as your last success? You only have value based on credentials or based on income or based on marital status? Which comprehensive story are you remaining in? Which comprehensive story are you abiding in? And Jesus is saying that if you remain in the sum of my teaching, the sum of what I've said about God, the sum of what I said about who I am, the sum of what I said about who you are, then you will be my disciples. Then you can know you are my disciples. And and when I read this, I automatically think, all week I couldn't get my mind away from just falling into this direction when I read this verse. And that is when Peter, uh, Jesus and Peter are in a conversation. And Jesus has been saying some hard things. And Jesus finally looks at at the 12 as his disciples and he says, are you guys going to walk away too? Is this too hard for you? Is this too comprehensive for you? Did you kind of want some of me when it was helpful and then, and then live a different story for most of your life? Is this too hard for you? And Peter, I would just imagine, so Peter speaks up as he always does. And, and Peter, I imagine with this sort of confused look on his face and maybe a little pained, looks at Jesus. You remember what he says? And he says, where else will I go? Where else will we go? For you have the words of life. Do we like it? I'm reading in this context now. Do we like it? No. Does it make sense? Hardly ever. But where else will we go, Jesus? You have the words of life. You offer us the comprehensive story of flourishing. You offer us hope. So the question then is, what do we do in the midst of suffering? What do we do when our urges and our desires are counter to what Jesus teaches? What do we do when we think that more blessing can be found outside of him? None of us are past that, by the way. None of us are past that. It happens all the time. The question is, will you stay? Will you remain? And those of you who know what this is like, you know that in the moment, it's not really about willpower, is it? It's, it's this magnetic pull back to Jesus. It's, this, it's, it's not so much the, are you going to remain in him? It's the recognition that he is in me. He remains in me. I, I can't help but turn. It's like I want to walk away and there's this magnetic pull bringing me back. It's like an invisible force field that I can't get past. And that is a good thing. And you know what I'm talking about. Another way maybe we could think about it is the word abide is a verb. So 
if we think about the phrase, this is my humble abode, it's like a noun. So we think it's a house, right? A, a structure, that, it's a dwelling place that, that provides protection. So Jesus says, remain in me and my word. How do we make Jesus's word our house that we live in, that we stay in? Imagine a storm. Imagine Hurricane Irma and you're in your house, was there any moment that you thought you would be safer if you ran outside? Was there any moment where you thought, hey, this is crazy to stay in this house. I would be much safer in the hurricane winds. I doubt it. You may have a ceiling falling in and you run to a different part of your house, but I doubt you ever thought, I should go outside. What do we do when there's a hurricane? We remain in the warm, protecting shelter of Jesus. We abide in his abode, in him. You know, the other day, as I mentioned, I was felt overwhelmed, struggling moment by moment, confused, And it's not always clear what you do in these moments. And for some of you, you might be prone to despair. That's not my inclination. I'm more prone to action, to doing, to pressing through. Both take their toll. For me, uh, pressing through takes its toll because what happens is the more I press, my world gets smaller and smaller because I can't let myself feel things because if I do, it'll slow me down and emotions are not very aerodynamic, and I want to go faster, so I tuck everything in. But what happens is that everything gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and it's not very good. Because when things become smaller, you can only see yourself. I can only see myself. And so here I was, um, helping one of my daughters with school, I felt depleted. My world was very small. And I was trying to find sustenance in my own effort. Does that sound familiar? And the last thing was for her to write out her new Bible verse for memory. So she asked for a note card. So I gave her a note card and, and she, I look up in her, her lesson plan, what, what is the verse? And it was from Psalm 145. And I pull it up and I read these words. Remember, my world was small. I was anxious. I was numb. And these words poured over me. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. 
It was at this point that I saw the connection between these two verses. I knew they went together, but I still didn't know how on Friday. And then it made sense. Come with me for a moment, okay? Just come with me. There was a group of us, there's a group of us here at New City who who are memorizing Psalm 119 in 2019 because 2019 rhymes with Psalm 119. That's really the only main reason. And, uh, and it's something we wanted to do at some point in our life. And so uh, I've been reaping the benefits of storing up Psalm 119 in my heart. And in verse 10, the psalmist says, With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. And then the very next verse, verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then it was the, the metaphor of eating and, and food and energy and you think calories and biochemistry. I know many of you think these things. And the idea of storing up God's word in my heart that, that it clicked. There's another metaphor here. There's an illustration. So when you eat, what your body wants to use for fuel in your food is glucose. Okay? It's basically sugar. It breaks things down into the simple sugar. Your body wants glucose. Your brain especially wants glucose. It's just the way that God has made us. And it's so important. What do you do, though, whenever you're working and you start to feel hungry? How do you not collapse? How does your body still function? It's because God has designed your body to be able to function when all the glucose is out of your bloodstream. It has stores called glycogen, and it's stored mainly in your liver and in your muscles. And your body really quickly can, can break that down. But the thing is, is you only have about a day to a day and a half of that. And so it, it dawned on me. I have burned up all of the glucose in my blood. My glycogen is gone and I'm refusing to eat. Which is why Psalm 145 was like a jolt of life and sustenance to me. It was exactly what my soul was longing for. And so you see, we feed on Jesus. Jesus is his life. You can't separate Jesus and his word. He tells us who he is. He tells us who he is for us. And so we can only persevere for so long until we become completely depleted. But here's the thing. Remember, How do we get back? We remain. We turn back to him. We repent. And we turn to him. And I find it so comforting to know that the Christian life is found in our remaining, not in our striving. The Christian life is found in our remaining, not in our striving to go find God like he's walked away from you, like he's walked away from me. But it's to remain where God is. And he's in you. If you're in Christ, he dwells in you. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Notice, Paul tells the Colossians that their hope of glory is Christ in them. Not their performance, not their striving. It's God's presence in them. It's God's presence in us. It's God's dwelling in us. And so what we hear from these last two verses in this series is stay put. Remain. Go deeper. In a culture of superficiality, 
Let's be people of depth in Jesus. When we are parched and weary from our journey, drink from his rivers of living water and eat the bread he offers to us. And when we are afraid and we feel we are in danger, remain in him. Follow the true shepherd when you hear his voice. The one who calls you by name when we feel we are in the dark and in need of guidance, look to Jesus who is our light, the very presence of God who will not leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you so grateful that you have sent your son. And Jesus, we're grateful that you pursued us, that you spoke true words to us, the words that the Father had given you, and that we find life in them and sustenance. And forgive us that we go to so many other places to be nourished, that we go to so many other guides instead of remaining in you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would find one place in every person's heart in this room. Find one place now And with surgical precision, call us to turn back to you, to drink deeply from you, to remain in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.